0: and Peter Schweizer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hello and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism and corruption in the federal government. My name is Eric Eggers and I'm normally joined by Peter Schweitzer, but he's out again this week. But once again, we are blessed to have a man uh, virtually, if not... More than his equal, Jason Chaffetz, he's a distinguished fellow here at the Government Accountability Institute, former chairman of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, and a Fox News contributor. Jason, every time I list off your credentials, you just become that much more impressive. How are you doing, Jason?
1: <laughs> well, let's just skip that part next time. <laughs> no,
0: impossible. Glad to be with you. We're just, we're just here. It's the holiday season. We're trying to celebrate and affirm and lift up. Uh, unfortunately, some of the things that we can't lift up and celebrate are the nature of the things that are available for purchase on the shelves. The shelves in the stores around the country are not exactly stocked with care. Um, there's reports of Christmas tree shortages across the country. Prices are up 20% if you can get a Christmas tree. We're seeing lots of other examples of uh, you know, just kind of item shortages around the country. Have, have you guys felt what seems to be a real supply chain crisis across the country in the Chaffetz household.
1: Yeah, we went to go get some over the counter um, you know, medicine. Uh that wasn't available. You go to local, we shop a lot at Costco. Uh try to get toilet paper, oh you're limited to, you know, one one big thing of that. Um it yeah, you you feel it, you see it. Um it, it, but the the problem is you can't just turn on and off this switch. We're we're suffering the consequences of policies that were put in place a long time ago, and you can't just suddenly say, oh, wait, wait, let's just change that, and then it fixes itself magically. This is gonna take quite some time to unbury ourselves from.
0: It's such a great point, and that's part of the reason why I'm so excited to have you on today, and we can talk, given your expertise, about what's really at the root of some of these issues and how much can we blame on some of the policies that have been placed for the last year? How much can be blamed on the pandemic? But, um, and how much of it is much more comprehensive and historical? You mentioned there's years ago policies. I mean, let's use Christmas trees as an example. Like, not that that's dictated by a policy, but Christmas trees that were getting harvested today were planted in 2012. And there was a frost that was unexpected that took out a lot of the tree supply in Quebec where many of the East Coast trees come from earlier this year. So it's like, You see there's not exactly Christmas trees, and some people just want to shout, let's go, Brandon. And like maybe there's something to that, but it's also, well, okay, we planted some nine years ago. There was a frost. So things can be kind of uh, more complicated than that. So I want to take advantage of your expertise, but the trees are symbolic, right? I mean, you said toilet paper, and we all remember the toilet paper shortage that happened last year. And it seems like everything is now the toilet paper issue that was – Before, we've got uh, reports and headlines now about cream cheese shortages in New York, a possible looming chicken tender shortage nationwide, and a report in the Washington Post today that drinks, whether it's alcohol or uh, canned cocktails or even just sodas, 13% missing from the shelves nationwide. So, um, you know, as a former member of Congress and given your expert in government oversight, What do you feel like is really at the root? Like what policies that took place years ago are the ones that we can't just switch on and off?
1: Well, uh, one of them is the workforce participation rate. I mean, we are literally have millions of less people in the workforce. And so all of a sudden, if you want to move goods, if somebody – the business is going well and they want to ramp up the number of employees, um, it, you, it, you notice it's at your own restaurant. You notice this at the checkout counter, maybe when you go to your local grocery store, uh, when you go to a fast food restaurant and try to get some service there. Uh, these types of things, you can't just suddenly, when you have four to five million less workers than you did before, there's a consequence for the policies that were put into place. And and, and what, let me give you another just small example with Christmas trees out west, um, where I reside. A lot of the Christmas trees come out of Washington and Oregon and, and Idaho. But we have a, so much public land that when the environmentalists, these radical environmentalists and the Democrats, lock up our ability to actually clean out and forage underneath the, the, the timber that needs to be cleared out, the dead timber, guess what? We have some of these raging forest fires the biggest, most devastating forest fires happen on public lands. You can put up a map, public land, private land, and you'll see that the public land forest fires are far greater in number, severity. And then all of a sudden there's a consequence because guess what? We can't get the paper products that we need because so much of this wood and timber has burned up along the way. So again, lots of consequences to policies that don't encourage workforce participation and other public policies that lock up and limit our ability to to actually build and grow and, and develop things and extract minerals. When Joe Biden goes into office and suddenly on day two, literally day two says, we're not going to extract oil and gas and we're going to not do the leases up in Alaska and on public land states like Utah, Nevada, New Mexico, Wyoming. And then gas is a dollar more per gallon a year later. That's what happens.
0: You know, I I think everything you said is really important, and we'll talk about some of the stats about the labor shortage, but at the Government Accountability Institute, we investigate the overlap between, you know, private interests and public policy, and I'm just making a note to investigate whether or not the lack of desire to remove all the dead timber on public lands that led to the fires that caused the Christmas tree shortages were actually, like, lobbied for by the artificial Christmas tree lobby, right? They're like, okay, this is because it's big business for those guys. Right. Um, so you, you mentioned the labor shortage, 4.3 million Americans quit their jobs in August. And that's the most that had ever happened since the Department of Labor started tracking the data in 2000. Um, the American Trucking Association said in 2019 that they knew that we're going to be short 60,000 drivers. And those shortages have only been exacerbated by everything that's happened with the economy and the vaccine mandates. In fact, as you know, yesterday, the proposed vaccine mandate for federal contractors was just blocked by a judge and the construction industry said that's actually a really good thing we're short about 430 thousand workers and we think this is a big step to help us so there's there's a lot of other policies that you noted that are contributing to the labor shortage but not the least of which i think is some of the stimulus what role do you think the 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus that the biden administration has overseen is playing in the labor shortage as well
1: I, I guess one of the metrics that just is stunning to me, if you think about it as a nation, the federal government now is spending more than one out of every $4. So one out of every $4, more than 25% of our gross domestic product is being spent by the federal government. And, and so when you look at the the number of people and the federal employees, these are regulators. These are regulators who wake up every day and figure out how they got to regulate something. And uh, look, uh, there's a role and a, a responsibility for regulators, but they also have quotas and numbers and expectations and con- the consequences on the small, medium and large sized businesses. They got to deal with all these regulators that are suddenly up in their grill uh, making life more difficult. It just we put all of these incentives as a nation to not hire additional people, because it makes it more difficult. And it, it's one of the scary things. If I'm foreshadowing the future, one of the things I'm concerned about in this Build Back Better bill that they're trying to push forward is the plus up at OSHA. OSHA is really the Trojan horse that gets in there to disrupt um, private businesses and really make life untenable. That You think inflation's bad now? Wait till these people start coming in and levying $700,000 fines.
0: And, you know, it's crazy, and you probably know this, but one of the things I remember from research on this a few years ago, Congress is actually, like, exempt from most OSHA requirements. Like, it's the only oh, of course. major employee. But, it's, no, but, like, really. <laughs> <laughs> like, they create all yeah. these OSHA requirements. You have to, you know, everybody remembers the poster of the lady in the cast in the workroom. Like, here's your OSHA stuff. Congress doesn't have to do that because they wrote themselves no. the exemption, which is insane to me. Um, So, so your regulators you think is a major obstacle. And we'd also note that I think I saw it reported recently that the odds of you getting audited by the IRS are about to double for many industries because I think the IRS is staffing up now uh, for this next season. So that'll be a nice holiday bonus for folks. Um, What other obstacles do you think in the way for just the contribute to the labor shortage? How big of a deal is the vaccine mandate, do you think?
1: Well, it, it, uh, that's a huge one. But it, going back to the IRS real quickly, 80,000 additional IRS agents spending $80 billion. And that they have an expectation. Don't tell me that, oh, yeah, we're just going to get all these extra tax cheats and stuff. There's a, You know how painful and how um, scary it is to get a notice to say, hey, We're here from the IRS and we're going to give you an enema. I mean, that's just not something that most businesses or individuals ever want to get through. And we would think, you would think, after what we saw with Lois Lerner and the way they used the IRS as a political bludgeoning tool to go after people based on specific categories and specific instances that are really going against conservatives based on political persuasion, that that has far-reaching uh, efforts. And the other one that I have to mention is the trucking industry. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Biden administration put all sorts of handcuffs and their unions that did some things that made it untenable for people to get older trucks under, under containers and start moving them around the country. They put electronic monitoring in place so that these drivers had limitations on where they could go and how far they could go. And this is done in the name of um, public
0: safety, right? They're saying, okay, we don't want all you All done in the yeah. name of
1: public safety. I don't know what problem they think they were actually solving. Um, and consequently, we get this huge backlog of, of containers and ships that are coming in across the country. We don't have the warehousing because you can't get the permits in order to get the warehousing in order to get, the goods to get on the truck to get I mean it's just these things all have consequences And, and you have a federal government that generally just does not understand how private, how, how private business works. They just don't understand or appreciate it.
0: Well, it's interesting to think through what you just said about let's just take the trucking and the shipping measures, for example, right? And I, I still – if you haven't mm-hmm. heard the episode we did last week when Jason shared a stat about how lax oversight is in terms of the importing of things via the shipping ports, uh, you should go back and listen to it because it's mind-blowing. But – if the idea is that we have put in policies in place that's sort of in a vacuum, right? Like, okay, we, we want to keep the roads safer, so we're going to make it harder for trucks to drive so far, and we have other things, oh, it's good for safety, sort of operating in a vacuum outside the context of a global pandemic and the behavior changes that that means, right? Then it's sort of this perfect storm, because what I think most smart economists are saying is that with the pandemic and the lockdown, and people went a long time without engaging in commercial activity, or at least at a much lower level, then as people started to reemerge, they created what they call this bullwhip effect, right? So consumers start buying more things than ever. Retailers realize that this is happening, so they place more orders than ever with wholesalers, and then wholesalers place more orders from the manufacturers, and the manufacturers, okay, we got to get more shipping done, and it's just this giant backlog that gets bigger and bigger the further away from the consumer you get. And so that's why you now have like the ships that are all showing up. The system isn't ready for that. And just this one stat I saw about the impact, just the increased demand has had on the cost of goods Uh, before the pandemic, sending a container, right? Everything that comes to the country comes in these containers, Uh, sending a container from Shanghai to Los Angeles costs maybe $2,000. And by early 2021, the same journey was $25,000. So like that's how much more expensive it is just to ship a container of things to this country. Imagine, and that's without taking into impact or without taking into consideration everything you just said about the impact that the policies are having on the logistics of it.
1: Yeah, and then you you put on top of that the rising fuel prices. I guess what most people that I talk to haven't really had a chance to take a deep dive into this. Democrats and liberals, in their heart of hearts, they want higher fuel prices. This was a goal. This was not a, an, an accident. They want higher fuel prices because they think that justifies the expenditures and, as they call it, investment, if you will, in these green new technologies. And so they can only make a financial case for their Green New Deal if they can say, well, look, gas is, you know, $5 a gallon. We got to do something. And so they know that economically they need to get there first. That's why it's not a coincidence that when Obama and Biden were there and now Biden and Harris are there, that all of a sudden fuel prices go up. It's because that is their goal and objective in order to push forward their Green New Deal.
0: Fuel prices are going up, but that's consistent with the cost of everything rising. Inflation is up the highest we've had in decades. I think inflation rate went up 6.2% recently, which I think alarmed a lot of people, even the people that were saying previously that inflation is a good thing. Are you familiar with these people that say inflation is a good thing? (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's just transitory. It's just you know, it's it's a good thing. It, it, you won't even notice it. You know, it's I my favorite thing that the White House did is in the summer when they said that your your Fourth of July is sixteen cents less expensive than it was last <laughs> year. Like they literally put out a graphic from the from the White House saying how cool that it was
0: sixteen cents. Well, and you saw the graphic that showed like fuel prices were down like a cent, right? And they said way to go. Yes, I <laughs> it's all about the scale. Uh,
1: thanks Joe Biden.
0: It's all about the thanks, scale Joe Biden the y and the x axis man um but yeah. just put but put some put some numbers on just how much more expensive things are and by the way, I learned this recently um by listening to a podcast from a guy that runs a restaurant. Have you noticed when you go into a restaurant now a lot of the menus you they don't hand you physical menus anymore you pull up the menu yeah. the via the q r code on your phone. So at first I thought, well, they're doing that because that's like a measure for health and like, you know, nobody's touching the menu. So it's it's making it more covid friendly as if not touching a menu will will decrease the level of covid transmission possibility when you (laughs) sit at a table across from six other people. Uh, But no, the real reason why they do these menus on the QR codes is because when your menu is digital it's much easier for the restaurant to raise their prices sporadically right without having to reprint all the menus so it yeah. allows for like dynamic real-time price increases so if you wonder why things seem more expensive and why the the menu digital like those things go hand in hand I thought it was really interesting. But the you know, Outback Steakhouse has said that their first price increase since twenty nineteen, uh cost gonna go up ten percent next year. McDonald's has said prices are up six percent. So I mean this is just an example. So fourth of July, cheaper. Everything else, more expensive.
1: Yeah, it, and you know what? I, I what I feel for are the people that are on fixed incomes, uh lower uh, you know, lower income people, this, this is devastating to them. You know, you know, Pete Buttigieg the other day, uh, the transportation secretary kind of flippantly said, well, you know, go out and buy an electronic car, which is, you know, at 60, $70,000, just buy an electronic car, then you don't have to worry about the price of gas. You know, most people are trying to figure out how to fill up their tank uh, uh, on the next go, the, t- the next time they're at the gas station. And it, for him to just kind of flippantly say, well, go buy a $60,000 electronic, uh, you know, electronic vehicle, they are so tone deaf and out of touch with what a regular, you know, American is trying to go through, let alone a young student or a newly married couple, you know, starting out in the world. I mean, you know, our our son and daughter-in-law, um, they just had their first baby, but the prospects of them being able to buy a home uh, in California, they're like zero, and it and it's sad.
0: Well, you're in Utah right now, but I just saw a, a video from the Fair Housing Alliance, the you know, the government entity, and they said that actually where you live, the mountain region, the homes are up like 25%, and that's yeah. once again due to supply chain problems with the cost of, you know, just being able to get materials out there. So that's increased the cost of the the, the and the demand is massively high as well, so right? So, um congratulations on being a grandfather. Um it sounds like you'll get the chance to a yes. lot of time with your grandchild because they'll be living with you. But that's you know <laughs> I mean you know, there, a lot of cultures did that, Jason. You know, that's just the nuclear unit. They stayed together.
1: Um Yeah, I watched Willy Wonka, you know, see these grandparents <laughs> just living in the So do you um, think yeah, but you know, remember we went through that surge of the wood prices. Right. Um, you know, there was the joke that the down on the southern border they weren't they weren't smuggling drugs across the border, they were smuggling wood across the border because it was so expensive. But You know, we laugh about those things, but it costs people tens of thousands of dollars that we're building homes. Mm -hmm. And and the ability to get into a home right now, even though the interest rates are still, you know, ridiculously low, um, is just really thwarted by there are public policy decisions that are rooted in the consequences that come up. Inflation didn't just happen by accident. It happened because of public policy positions. Well, let me ask you this
0: question. We have just a couple minutes left, but I want to give you uh, a stat and ask you if if you think that, because you said it's part of the design of Democrats to see fuel prices be up because it fits into their environmental agenda. Do you think that higher unemployment or what motivation, I guess I'll ask it this way, what motivation would Democrats have to see higher unemployment? Because listen to this stat. Of the 12 states with the highest unemployment in this country, 10 have Democrat governors and the top eight states, right? The eight states with the highest unemployment rates all have Democrat governors and the 10 states with the lowest unemployment rates are all run by Republicans. So it's sort of stunning when you see it visually laid out and you see the blue at the top end and the red on the bottom end. But what motive, I mean, do you think that's an accident? And if not, what motivation would Democrats have to have higher unemployment?
1: Well, I just think fundamentally Democrats, at their heart of hearts, you know, there's a reason it's a cliché. It, it, it Clichés become clichés because they just happen to be true time and time again. Democrats want to do tax and spend more. They do believe in a big government state. They do believe that they should redistribute the wealth. And, and what I've seen happens, uh, you know, I entered Congress, I was elected in 2008. The transformation over these last, you know, 13 years or so is quite stunning because the Democrats, you don't have blue dog Democrats. You have these AOCs of the world that really move more towards a socialist point of view that, that really do believe that the big nanny state, that the government making decisions, that they can redistribute the wealth, that they can just go after all these wealthy people. And, you know, that's why you have the Bernie Sanders and the Joe Bidens of the world actually saying, you know, look, we can, can, put together a multi-trillion dollar bill that's that costs nothing. It doesn't cost anything. And, and, and try to say it with a straight face and say, well, what we just need to do is tax the rich people more. But that equation has never, ever been true. I mean, it's not even close to being true. And so if you're going to do that and take all that money out of the private sector and you're going to pull it out of somebody's wallet and give it to somebody else via the government... Their goal, I think, is they want more control, they want more power, and I don't think they mind having more people getting government handouts to say that we're just going to suddenly make all of uh, college free, and that we're just going to dismiss every bit of a student loan and make it free, and we're just going to dismiss all this, that, and the other, and oh, you can buy an electronic vehicle, and we'll subsidize that. Essentially, you know, I think they want to get to the point where they give it to you for free, They haven't said that out loud, but that's where they're going. They want to give a $12,500 credit for getting into an electronic vehicle. uh, Why? It's because they want more control. I think that's their motivation. I think that's the socialist way. And I don't think they mind having more people taking government handouts and doing things for free instead of doing the exact opposite. And I could give you 10 minutes of why. You know, freedom, liberty and and, you know, and self-determination are are far superior. But I think that's where they're trying to take this nation. Well, I think that's why this is such an
0: important moment here in this country as, as we sort of wrap up, because I think what you're seeing now in some ways, again, it's a sort of emerging of. The natural consequences when you had a population that had a pandemic and they were locked down, so now you're seeing this surge in demand as a result of it. But that's coupled with policies. I mean, even the Biden administration has come out and admitted that they gave too much money out, right? I mean, they've even acknowledged that yeah, the inflation that we're experiencing now and the labor shortage that's leading in part to and exacerbating the supply chain crisis that's sort of our bad. Now, there's not too much they can do about it now, but then that's when economists say, well, yes, you're dealing with inflation, you're dealing with uh, supply chain crisis, but at least everybody's gonna have a chance to open presents this year and they wouldn't have had that chance last year. And so like, you need to sort of just be okay with it. But I do think that people are getting a chance to see in real time and in real ways what consequences of some of these policies are, right? It's fine to give everybody money, but eventually, right, people need to be motivated. People need to be willing to engage in in the process. That's actually, as we sort of end on, to me, a positive note, the best part about the inflation is that eventually things will get so expensive the people that aren't working and that lack of working that's leading to the supply chain crisis will can't afford to stay home, so they'll have to go back to work, and that will actually in turn ease some of the supply chain issues. What do you think about that?
1: That's that. Uh, there's a great deal of optimism there, but I think <laughs> what you see, I think what you will see is a rising crime rate. I think will, people will say, "I've got no choice. I, I I see no way out." I'm, and you know what? In California, I can just go steal something they're not even going to arrest me let alone charge me and as long as they keep it less than $900 nobody's going to seem to much care and i think that a lot of that is happening right now but it's sad that's avoidable i i don't i don't see that as a silver lining i see that as a distress signal to say no we, you guys are taking this in a totally absolutely wrong direction and you asked earlier and we didn't get a chance to ask it, and i know we're wrapping up here but the mask mandate and the and and Forcing people to get themselves injected with a, um, y- you know, I- injected and then lose their job because of it. I mean, we're laying off firefighters and healthcare workers, for goodness sake. Is the country really better off because we have less firefighters who decided that, hey, maybe the vaccine isn't for me? I don't know what the reason. I've, I've taken the vaccine, I think it's good, but it's not good for everybody necessarily. And so, yeah, I think I think the country recognizes that it's very much off track and that this is avoidable, that good economic sound policies in place and there are consequences and subversive things happening behind the scenes that are put in place because it helps these Democrats with their own personal radical green agenda. I, I really do believe that.
0: Well, that's a heck of a stalking stuff for Jason. You know, Merry Christmas, crimes up, (laughs) crimes up. There's subversive forces actively working to control your life and happy holidays from the drill down. Jason Chaffetz, uh, you're amazing. It's always good and informative to talk to you, if not maybe the most emotionally uplifting experience of the day. It's definitely one that I think feeds the mind and uh, strengthens the soul. So we thank you for your time and we thank you as always for listening. If you've liked what you heard. Please feel free to give us a review, a positive one would be ideal at thedrilldown.com. And uh, you can check out more episodes and more articles at that website or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.